writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the Right Pack. Welcome to Right Pack Radio. This is David Allen Lucas, your host for tonight. I am a writer of mystery, horror, science fiction, and poetry. Hello, I'm Kathleen Cayembe. I write under the pen name Kaseka and Vita, GLBT Romance. And Kathleen is the co-host and moderator. Hi. <laughs> uh, I'm Jennifer Solzer, illustrator, uh, YA fantasy author, and jack of all trades. <laughs> Hi, I'm Peter Green. I write uh, biography, uh, particularly historical biography, World War II, and social history, and uh, uh, mystery. Uh, Brad Cook. Uh, I am an author, publisher at Blank Slate Press, and president of St. Louis Writers Guild. Uh, you can find out more at blankslatepress.com, and we are open to submissions. I am Melanie Claney. I write uh, science fiction, fantasy, and nonfiction. Okay. Tonight is an interesting topic. Tonight, if the listener has been watching the various blogs, there is basically a civil war occurring inside the writing industry. This is a civil war between traditional publishing and the self-published world. A little bit of history about writing that comes into light with this. In ancient days, writers were paid to come and perform their works at, with what we would today call the one percenters. They sometimes had to pay for their own work to be written because it was transcribed by many scribes, and sometimes they had supporters who would pay for it. This continued on through the medieval times up until about the time of the Gutenberg Press, at which time the books left those lands of what we call the one percenters and finally started showing up in the hands of those who are your common everyday person. About that time, newspapers, magazines, and book publishing became what we know as traditional publishing, and we would know that as such all the way up till today. In the 1920s, give or take, all the way up through roughly the 70s or 80s, we had paperback books that were looked down upon. If you want to be a, considered to be a true published author, you were in hardbacks only. Or you sold the hardback, and maybe the paperback might come out. This was the time of, a, of the wood press, or otherwise known as a wood pulp. Many of your favorite authors nowadays came out of that. Some of them have passed away, but let me throw out some well-famous ones. Take, for example, Earl Stanley Gardner, who wrote Perry Mason and had the world's record for the most number of books published in the most languages. And you had others as well. And mostly this was mystery and horror, science fiction as well. Isaac Asimov was in there. And now, with the advent starting in the 80s and especially taking off in the 2000s, we have the electronic publishing. And that has become the new Gutenberg Press. Brad. Uh, well, what David's kind of referring to in terms of what's going on now, you can call it a war if you want, like prefer a lively discussion. Uh, but uh, essentially what's been going on is that uh, for several years there's been you know, changes in the industry and the top professionals, you know, the guys up in New York and stuff, came out with what they considered these three tiers and they were put into in a blog in kind of a really nice, you know, 
interesting and creative way as rewriters do. But basically, essentially, compared to the classes on an airplane. This prompted a response, of course, and it was uh, quite a lively response that came back in the form of a blog that did interview the original, you know, and cited many, many sources, and then came out some earnings reports from other self-developed authors in response to that as well, claiming about all the money they'd made and how traditional publishing was broken and all, continuing uh, an argument that's been going on for some time. And essentially now there have been blogs back and forth on both sides. The numbers have been proven right, the numbers have been proven wrong. There's been this opinion and that opinion thrown around. You can find them all over the place, and I'm sure David's going to put in a bunch of links around with this, but... Uh, Essentially, what's been going on is a decision as to how valuable and or at what part of the industry do you fit into and trying to identify the new publishing world, if you want to call it that. And that's doing it in the nicest possible way possible. <laughs> Agreed. And I'm one of those writers that looks to both sides of that house for publishing purposes. Well, I think, sorry, yeah, not, no, I think fine. in this uh, modern day, we're going to see a lot more. I mean, they call it the hybrid author now, and, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things... Uh, that's being discussed, but I, I don't think anyone can reject any one media. No, I think it would be a suicide, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I think in my in the way I'm looking at the self-pubs and even the micro-pubs, is that is your new pulp fiction file. Now, it doesn't always have to be fiction, but that's your pulp genre nowadays. Well, the e-book really is the new paperback, and that's so weird to say, um, but it is true. Your, your analogy before about the hardback coming out and then would come out the paperback, I mean, that's that was the publishing model for a very long time, and now the model is we release, you know, release the book, and then you release an e-book, and, you mm-hmm. know, they sit kind of with each other, so. I was kind of thinking of e-books as books you don't well, you might want to reread them, but you don't care about keeping them. Ebooks are what you get when you don't care about them signed. You don't want to pass them on to anybody else because, frankly, you're not allowed to at this point, which is a problem with them. But it's if you're just going to yeah, if you're just going to buy it, read it, and then okay, frankly, if I just want to buy it and not keep it or read it, and not keep it, I go to the library. But yeah. yeah. Well, on the subject of ebooks and along that vein, um, I was wondering what the the difference, I guess, between big big publishing, like traditional publishing versus the smaller presses, because in um, queer romance, a lot of the uh, fiction that's being published is published as an ebook, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. or only as an ebook. Right. And uh, a lot of niche markets are. Like yeah. 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 So. And I can you, talk a little bit about that before I turn it over to Peter, because I do want to hear you've got yeah. a unique situation. With what, with what you've been through in your writing industry, but what you said about it, about that niche going straight to e-publishing and that, that's not unlike the old wood pulps where a lot of times the authors just went straight to paperback and that was it. And it was only yeah. out for a very short time. Yeah. You know, one of the highlights of recent uh, blogs has been a blog by Joe Conrath, who is a very successful author of 40 books. And a lot of this has happened in the last six years unbelievable. I met Joe in 2000 and probably 2008 when he was uh, just selling a, uh, his first urban fantasy mysteries. This one I've got in my hand is called Dirty Martini and it was put out by Hyperion Press which is has now been acquired by Hachette Book Group which is one of the big five. It used to be the big six but Penguin acquired Random House and the other uh, three are Simon and Schuster, Macmillan, and Harper Collins. Let me pause you a second. Wasn't um, there was also another big one 
that was out there for a while, but it got folded during the last recession. And uh, Dorchester, Dorchester, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so used to be six, and now they're five. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, they work on the classic model of uh, working only with agents. They really don't take anything over the transom. They have to be vetted by a literary agent, and uh, have this wasteful publishing system where they overprint, they overdistribute, and then they end up uh, taking back and destroying the ones that can't be sold. And they were very late coming into e-books, and uh, they're playing catch-up, and the way Joe Conrath puts it, it's, it's it's an issue of class war and revolution in the book industry, and he didn't coin that phrase. It was Donald Mass, the the very prominent literary agent who coined that phrase. Uh, and and the question is, okay, you've got class war, but who are the royals and who mm-hmm. are the peasants? Now, Donald Mass thinks, well, the peasants are the writers. Uh, there's three classes of them. There's the freight class, access is easy to, to e-books, to writing them and publishing them. Success is rare, but as Joe Conrath points out, it's always rare. It takes an unusual kind of initiative to really make something put over over the top, and usually that's the author's initiative. There's coach class. It's decent literary fiction or well-crafted commercial fiction. And then there's first class. Hard cover sells for $25, $30, and then it extends its life in the bookstore by being reissued in trade paper for $15, and so it has this double life, and he's very impressed by all the money you can make. But, of course, the author doesn't really make much out of that. If he makes 12.5%, he's lucky. Now, the new model, uh, the, the writer can make as much as 70%, minus a few very minor expenses. And that goes to markets all over the world. They're not that minor of expenses. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, okay, so it's 60 But <laughs> it, 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 now it, it costs several thousand dollars to produce a book. And that cost, it's about who ferries that cost. Right. Mm-hmm. And a traditional publisher, they're the ones who hold that cost. And for a self-publisher, they're the ones who you know front that cost. No and that, that really it. is the difference between the two models. But what about small press publishers? Again, um, right. because I was thinking about the music industry and how, oh no, all the big record companies are getting undermined by MP3s and digital music. And a lot of people, I think, are more able to, I want to say publish, but it's not that, to release their music without being signed by a huge label. And I think that's very similar to what a lot of writers can do now mm-hmm. because we don't have to go to the big five or whatever. Well, and like you've, you've said that, you know, it costs several thousand dollars to get a book professionally. That's the key here. Coming out, you can get it for a lot cheaper if you're either really good at doing all those steps or, or it doesn't care. look all that great. Right. But, yeah, but uh, then you've created a, 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 an inferior product. Right. So, oh. but I'm saying... That and if, you know, the point is to create, you know, a professional product that you can sell in any store around but town. But the point is, for less than $10,000, you can get a book out and if you sell 300 copies, you're not going to make back your money. Well, maybe mm, if you sell them for no. enough. See, and you won't make back your money. No. That's but, the new gatekeeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the self-publishing world, the new gatekeeper is money. Right. But, yeah. but Joe Conrath points out that, okay, you pay for these services up mm-hmm. front, but you're paying for them, mm-hmm. and you don't have to split your profits forever after. Yeah, but it's a long time but if ever if you get profits. Well, and l- let me go with that for a second. The different, one of the big differences is, as the listeners hearing, Let's take, a look, let's take a look at traditional publisher of a route. Brad's already laid it out as far as how to get published. Okay, you are a author, and this is true of fiction and nonfiction. You're the author. You somehow got signed. Congratulations. We're, we're living in a fantasy world here for a second. Being writers and all. Um, yeah, being writers and all, we all like fantasy. But anyway, 
you are now signed up. It's going to take time for your book to get on the shelf. Actually, that's up to two years to get out on that shelf because it's going to go through various editing stages. And a lot of times the editors don't do what we think of as editing nowadays. They're looking at more how does how the book comes together. There are different types of editors. There are different types of editors, and I don't want to play this. But anyway, you go through various different editing stages. You go through what's called the galleys, which is your pictures on your book cover. And then you get published. And in that publishing, you get, quote unquote, some advertising money. And I underline that, and I circle that, and I laugh at that. <laughs> because... Unless you are one of the higher names, the first class section in Donald Mass's Mass's hierarchy. Hierarchy. <laughs> Thank you. You are actually your level of advertising is you get put into a catalog that the bookstores and that the that the libraries can choose from. That's not getting you out in front of the entire mass of readers. So let's talk about the online world. Now you're looking at having to get onto Amazon and Barnes & Noble, which the traditional publisher will do for you. They'll put you out there, and you have got to hope that someone finds your books. And in that process, you as a writer need to be out there advertising yourself, pushing yourself. You are a business. Yes, that now, never changes. That, that never changes. change if you're a top-class author all the way down. Exactly. Look at look at Patterson. He does some amazing... Oh, I mean, he just example. gave money to every bookstore in America, practically. <laughs> so. I mean, okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he money. Robin, Robin's over there going, um, can I get some of that Patterson money? Yes. And so, Patterson, if you're listening, STL Books could really use some. <laughs> and let me explain. <laughs> we are recording at STL Books, and Robin is the owner. And she's, yes. She's attending this conference, this recording. And... Talking about advertising, just real brief, as since you through Patterson, how many people have seen the TV show Castle? Patterson does not need to be on Castle, but he sits at a poker table with Nathan Fillion's character playing poker and talking mysteries. So that he's there advertising. He's got his name out there. Now, self-publishing. Some self-publishers don't believe that you need an editor. Um, my opinion, edit like crazy. Yes, always get an editor. Please. Always get an editor. I, your, your critique part, unless your critique partner is a professional editor, even get then, an get another editor. Exactly. Brad and I truly agree on a lot of things. <laughs> At the very least, get someone to edit that hasn't read all the different drafts. Amen. Some a brand new set of eyes. <laughs> In my bill-paying job, I do a lot of writing that is very boring for most people, and I can tell you, being the writer, I can't catch the mistakes that I've done. You've got to have somebody who's got a John decide to take a look at it. Okay, but the self-publishers required to get their own book galleys. They've got to get the book out there, on the, and usually it's just electronic publishing, but they've got to get, out, get it out there. If they do a hard book, I do, and when I say hard book, I'm not saying hard cover. I mean a Great. physical book be it paperback or hardcover, they've got to walk into the various bookstores and ask the owners like Robin, hey, would you please put my book up? And Robin, and no, I'm not turning you into a villain, but <laughs> a lot of the bookstore owners aren't going to care about the book. If you are not out there beating the, beating the path to have write, readers come to get your book. Do you already have a readership? What's your platform? Thank you. Go for it. Oh, <laughs> you, were, um, you, you fed into it. I'm sorry. No. Okay. Um, so I hear a lot about um, writers needing to do a lot of publicity. 
for their work. And I think that's also true for big publishers, or at least the um, writing and publishing for, for Dummies book was like, you should hire your own publicist anyway, because otherwise you, can, you would get it lost. It is a wonderful thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And usually a publicist comes in a short-term, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, package deal. You yeah, know, they're going right to represent you for the certain weeks. And around the, that yep. time is mm-hmm. when you need it most. Yeah. And if you can afford it, they, they can be wonderfully helpful. You can do all that work yourself. And see, that's really what this comes down to, is... A decision, do you want the team behind you so that you can email a team of people if you have questions or anything like that? Or are you doing it all yourself? Are you hiring the people yourself? Are you doing all this work yourself, the marketing? And you can do either way, really. I mean, And to be honest, you probably should be doing both because not every publisher is going to want to publish everything you write. Exactly. But not everything you write should be published. Some of us have <laughs> those things. But we live in a different have. world now where everything you write can be published no matter if it should or not. <laughs> and I read a there piece a of wisdom today there. saying the more books you publish, uh, the, the the more you'll sell. The Robert Randisi effect. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And the last one of those books is so bad, no one ever what, ever wants to write uh, read anything no. else. Then you book. write another book that's good, and, uh-huh. and the, then that name? just becomes that famous book that everyone's going to read because well, it's so bad. Let's call it Van Damme-ism. Right? <laughs> exactly. He Honor does a whole related. lot of garbage, and then he does something fabulous, and then suddenly everyone loves him. On a related note, um, Brad's clapping for that. Dave, no, <laughs> Dave's clapping. Dear okay. uh, heavens. I love Van Damme. But, you know, <laughs> I, not that I don't. <laughs> I just like the um, allegory there. Yeah. Oh, my. I'm so sorry. That's yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> I think some of this depends on what your um, aim is in publishing in the first place. Because I'm a writer because I... I like writing. I am not good at um, spending a lot of time on social media because I will spend a day on there and wonder where it went. And uh, juggling that is really hard for me. And moreover, we're on the radio. Mm-hmm. I don't like, I would feel a lot worse and more nervous like if I were sitting in front of a camera. So a lot of us are shrinking violets. We don't necessarily like being in the spotlight. We like our work there. And uh, if you have to do all the publicity yourself and to market yourself, that's turning on a whole different part of your personality that you may or may not actually have in your personality. I'm remembering a story. I might have been a murder she wrote. I mean, it was a TV thing. (laughs) I just, I don't remember. But one of the subplots or whatever is the author was somebody else, but they had basically the vivacious person that was pretending to be the author of all the mm-hmm. books and doing all the publicity and signing mm-hmm. all the books and all that Wasn't for that the other person. TV show? They do that with like singers too. Two hundred pounds beauty, Korean mm-hmm. uh, uh, romance drama kind of thing. Adorable. The uh, singer ends up basically getting an, a body overhaul so that she can actually be in front of the stage instead of behind it singing for the cute little pop star, or whatever, who's not actually <laughs> singing. The fact is that no matter what, what kind of writer you in a being. If you are traditional, if you're a hybrid, or if you are going down the road of self-pub, you have got to be able to step out of your comfort zone. You are an entrepreneur. If you aren't trying to be an entrepreneur at this, you're not in the right game. And I'm not saying you're out to make money on doing it, though it, that's the idea. It's, hey, all we, like we all like money. to make a living. And let me, I'm going to sidebar. One of the um, links I'm going to put out there, as Brad said, I'm going to put a whole bunch of links out. One of the public, I believe he was self-published, don't hold that to me, but one of the people was on Amazon's top 10 selling list for several weeks on the row as number six. And his whole family's going, oh, hey, you're on there for one more week and we can afford the big cars and all that. And he was embarrassed to tell his family, as I think we all are, about how much he was actually making. Now, as 
in that area of the top six or top ten of any publishing list, or any re- selling list, you would think these people are making lots of money. He was bringing home $12,000 a year from mm-hmm. writing. It's not that much. And with that, I'm going to say, going back to being an entrepreneur, you do need to have a team behind you. Either a team of one, yourself, where you're able to do it all. You need to hire somebody, which then you're splitting the profits. Even if you're paying them money and not having a contract to split the profit, you're still losing your percentage of the 70% or 60% or whatever, because that's return on investment. And then you better listen to your team. I have read many, many articles, many blogs about where publicists or agents, they want to get the writer out in front of people. They want the writer to go get on a talk show, do something. And they set it up, and the writer doesn't show up. They became very difficult to work with, and... Gee, right. you can't have to wonder why is your why is your book not selling? Same thing with a um, same thing with a book signing that you go to. If, if somebody's at Barnes and Noble and they're signing a book, or even at an independent bookstore, which by the way I love independent bookstores, but with the independent bookstores, if you're sitting there and you're knitting, or you're sitting there and you're just looking around and you're not trying to push your book, not being annoying with it, but you're not trying to push your book, then you have to. Blame only one person for your book not selling. That's right. And, you know, I think uh, the trend nowadays has definitely been in the direction of quality. Brad, you mentioned it has to be good quality in order to attract serious attention. So I think the independent authors are getting much smarter than perhaps the first crop was 10, 20 years ago. And they're they're putting out high-quality books. They're doing high-quality marketing. And... Uh, I mentioned Donald Mass's view of the things, and uh, uh, he uh, he took apart a recent blog by Donald Donald Mass. Joe Conrath did uh, point by point. He calls it Fisking, named after some professor named Robert Fisk. But anyway, he took took apart what he said. He says authors create the system, and they should own it, uh, at least to some extent. And the be- the best thing is like some of our, uh, our members. Uh, are hybrid authors, so they can do some of the uh, mass uh, distribution and some of the self-promotion and distribution. Joe Conrath is a pretty good example. Uh, He's a pretty good urban fantasy writer, but that's not the point. In the past five years, his hard work at promotion and self-publishing has turned him from just another member of the author herd, as Donald Mass calls them, to an entrepreneur who earned eight times the revenue from his e-books as he did, and not print books, as he did when he was a captive of Hyperion Press. And he is a millionaire besides. He says his tax, uh, his income tax, is now uh, way larger than his original revenues from all his <laughs> previous traditionally published books. One thing, and I don't want to sound like everybody's being up on Donald out there. I actually listened to Donald Mayas at um, a Pacific Northwest writing conference where he was a keynote speaker. And he was talking in front of us and various editors and agents. And I'm trying to remember if if, um, Penguin was there and so forth, but the high levels were there. And he was talking about how agents need a change in this growing industry, in this changing industry. Donald does know his know his industry. He's one of the top agents. He does know what he's talking about, and I don't disagree with some of the things he's saying. It's just you have to realize that if you are going to go self-pub or if you're going to be a mid-list, not where you... I think we all, as writers, want to fantasize we will be that top writing class. But fact is, we're not going to make it there. Well, the fact is, that's 1% 
of the industry. I mean, it really is. I mean, when you look at it, it actually, the people you know most, who sit on most of the shelves, who get most of the sales, the Pattersons, the Custlers, those kind of guys, that is 1% of 1% of all the writers in the world. I mean, it's it's literally, so when you're shooting for that, you're literally shooting for the moon. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of us are going to enjoy a very lovely career in the mid-list. And and really what this whole Mayas and Conrath you know, argument is about is about the way in which you market books. You know, because Conrad's model is I market myself as an author, a- and what Mayus is kind of saying, what traditional publishing tends to do is to market the book because the book can reach more readers than the author. You know, and and you know, and Conrad's model is that readers are going to read what I write. You know, or you know, so and and it's two very different views. And, and yeah, I think that's why they've been kind of diametrically opposed to each other. But, you know, it's... And there are a lot of other reasons, too, but... Yep. I think the book is what um, what is publicized until the author becomes their own brand. Like, right. things with um, Neil Gaiman, Stephen King, mm-hmm. like, all these people you were talking about who are face out on the shelves in bookstores, we don't necessarily know what their next book is. We just know, oh my gosh, there's a new one in. I'm going to get that one. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and the kicker is, is that that's one way to market your book. And it's not a bad way to market your book. I mean, it's a very good way to market yourself, to market yourself as an author and as a brand, but also know that you need to, you know, market the book that you're in. You need, that book needs to reach readers who don't care who the author is. They mm-hmm. care about the story. They care about the characters. They care, you know, that's what a reader really cares about. Does he care about the publisher? Does he care about the author? Eh, does not he, really. And the characters, the, the story, is. those are the things that matter most to a reader. So, I'm just thinking series is kind of like the hybrid of that. I'll get the next book of this series. Mm-hmm. Well, it's still series, selling the book, though. It is yeah. selling the book, but it's it's sort of a little bit... The book has a brand rather than the author itself, but... Yeah. But I, I was just thinking, Janet Ivanovich, mm-hmm. I actually just, well, listened to one of her new audiobooks, but I think she's partnered with a lot of different authors. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of the writing she's doing, but uh, I she's partnered with other one, and there are other books, so it's obviously her brand, her name that's selling the book, mm-hmm. she's the lead author. But well, then, that, that's getting into the like whole co It sounds like she's running it kind of like, um, like yeah. a TV show. She's the, the Well, there's a, I mean, that's book packaging and a whole new kind of area of the book industry. I mean... Patterson and Kussler are now getting together to start writing to make books together and pump them mm-hmm. out. So, I mean, this is this has been around forever. James Patterson, I don't even remember the last time he had a solo title come, you know, where he was the only guy on the cover. So, we're talking about now, um, those guys make good money too. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about big, um, big publishing, traditional publishing, small press, and self-publishing. But what about the uh, other ways of publishing, I don't know, non-traditional ways of publishing. Like, for example... Um, like FedEx? Office? No. <laughs> no. Like books on demand? Like, books on demand would be one. Um, like Kickstarter. Yeah, also but something that's, like that's that. That's self-publishing. Yeah. You There's have other also... things like, okay, so Scribd is something you can use. It's a PDF publisher. Mm-hmm. It's an online thing. We use it in St. Louis Writers Guild for The Scribe, which I highly recommend. It's a literary magazine. Check it out. Um, but anyway... <laughs> It is, uh, it's, it's something that you can put out there. You can charge for the PDFs. You cannot, um, you know, a lot of magazines go on there. A lot of papers and other, like, you know, academic stuff go on there. It, it's, you know, a whole thing. But that's still publishing. That's still self-publishing. I was, it's still e-publishing. Yeah. I was thinking along the lines of Shadow Unit specifically. Um, it is a, for lack of a better descriptor, it is a paranormal crime TV show. But it is... 
a series of novellas, and it's published online. Um, well, and there are ebooks for it too. There's that new site. And, uh, forgive me for not knowing the name on the top of my head, but it is a serial site. So you mm-hmm. literally upload your next chunk mm-hmm. every so often to this site, and then people go there and they read it in a serial format. Yeah. Now, my personal belief is that may not be the best route to go to get it. I mean, maybe it's a great way to get discovered. Maybe it's the best way to go. I would I would argue to actually gather that all together and send it off to a publisher and get published or send it out and I don't know. It kind of reminds me of how a lot of, of Dickens it. was published, you know, mm-hmm. in the yeah. newspapers before mm-hmm. he gathered it together. Yeah, but see, Dickens you know, there are ways you can do that, too. Like, you know, being published Dumont. in journals and other things like that. But I, I just I advocate trying to get paid for everything you're publishing. And <laughs> just real quick, yeah, I can't think of the name of the site either, but I also know. I also know Amazon also has a serial site as well. Mm-hmm. I meant more along the lines of how do you publish something, get work out there that there is no standard way of publishing yet. Like, well, look at poets, and I'm not picking on poets here, but poet books. You know, there are there are a bunch of them. They they come in a variety of formats, from traditionally published, you know, perfect bound with great covers to, you know, folded over pieces of paper that have staples in the center. Chapbooks. You know, chapbooks and Aww. stuff. And, you know, are any of those bad? I know. And, you know, to be honest, it's it's getting your poetry out there. I mean, I've seen some beautiful works where they hand draw and do the each cover individually as a painting. I, I can't even imagine doing that. But to produce uh, 50 or so of them, that doesn't seem too bad for them. And also, too, with poets, there's now also slam poetry. Yeah. In which... You don't actually have published poetry necessarily. The person gets up in front of the mic and recites their poem. Usually it's memorized or they're inventing it right there in front of you. And that's another form of publishing. Epic rap battles. YouTube. One way. You know, the the, the thing that Con, Conrad, Conrad likes to point out about the contrast between traditional and self-publishing is... Uh, that the real peasants in this situation are, are not the folks that are out there self-publishing, but the mid-list authors that are stuck with long-term contracts and nothing much is happening with the book. The publisher certainly isn't doing much with it, but uh, but they can't get out of the contracts, and, and, and so that's... Well, see, now I would have an argument uh, there that... That's about your publisher, and you should probably check out your publisher before you get signed. Mm. Yeah. As a traditional publisher, I can tell you that, you know, the reason it's going to take, it takes nine, ten months to get a book out. Why does it take that long? Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff. we got to get you into a catalog months ahead of time. we got to go through the book, and it's going to go through at least two or three people. It's got to have a cover. We've got to go through all that, and then we get you lined up. Now, after that, you know, we're going to promote you as much as we can, and we're going to promote you everywhere we can. But it's also up to the author at that point. Right. And it always is. And that's the kicker. Like, you know, I'm at a very small press. You know, we have a very tiny marketing budget as is. But even if you're up with the big boys, you're not going to get the giant displays and everywhere yeah, across unless you're that 1% of 1%. And, and then you're going to get it. Well, so. The problem I've run across sometimes looking for specific books is that they're out of print, but mm-hmm. the publisher still has the right to them. True. Yeah. And one thing real fast, though, is let's look at the other side of that coin. Be it self-publisher, be it with a micro-press, be it with a traditional press, you buy an electronic book. Okay, those technically don't go out of print too easily. No, and that should be available, you know, forever and ever. They never should go away. But one thing you may not realize is when you buy a book electronically, you're really not buying it. No, you're renting. You're renting it. Yeah. So that's that's something to think about as well. Unlike Unlike the solid books... You actually don't have anything on a permanent basis. 
There have also been times when the content's been pulled and pushed back out, changed. Uh -huh. uh, but and the kicker is, and this is the other one, this is going to the model of why you would go with a big traditional house over, say, going at your own road. It's easier if you go through a big house to, say, get into Walmart or one of the big giant box stores where sure. a, a heck of amount of sales take place. But beyond that, going international. Yes, it is totally possible to go international as a self-published author. It is more difficult than if you have an agent who has a subright agent within their own agency. Um, and then that they're going to do all that for you. Your movie rights, your book, you know, your your large print rights, all the all the subsidiary rights. And to be honest, that's where Conrath made a lot of his money was not in each individual sale, but in the sale of his rights. Mm -hmm. It's it's a big way for authors to make money. And you, as of now, still pretty much have to go through a big you know agency to to get access to that. And part of the reason is they are the gatekeepers. I mean, he, you know, even you know, Donald said it in his in his blog that did he want to be a gatekeeper? Maybe not, but you know, that's where he sits. Yeah, well, and and yours is a good small press. I've read a couple of books, uh, and they're excellent quality and and very good. Uh, my current reason for for going independent, and I just put a book up on Amazon today. Hey, there you go. Hey. Thank you. Uh, it's it's a rewrite of my first book, Ben's War with. It's called now Ben's War with the U.S. Marines, and it, uh, it, it uh, I was told by sixty seven agents that they couldn't sell this book, and then I discovered. But it's a funny thing. I sell this book wherever yes. I go. I've sold uh, probably hundred and fifty of them. Uh, just, I, I meet mm -hmm. veterans, I meet people who are interested in this stuff, and or have military families, or want the social history of of uh, the 1940s, and and they got it there, and, and they're fascinated with this, kid, this stuff, even young people today. So, uh, I, for this particular book, I knew no agent was ever going to take it, and I want to be a hybrid publisher as badly as anybody else. <laughs> and see, that's the beauty of it, is that you should be. Is hybrid that author. There's no reason in today's day and age that Ben's War with the U.S. Marines should not come out. Uh, there's no reason. But, and, and as you say, you know, with traditional publishers and with agents, they never would have taken it. And never in a million years. They told me to my face. I yeah, can't sell that book. They can't sell it. And But to be honest, you can. And that's the beauty part well, of being a hybrid author. That's a side effect of the way things are uh, nowadays, is that everyone's book can come out. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that leaves room for the uh, the big five to be a little bit... They have turned over the mid-list. They yeah. don't care about the mid-list. You know, they used to have to fill it out. Anymore. They used to have to devote imprints and all kinds of... Well, they used to have to devote a huge chunk of their own resources to putting books out in the mid-list. Books that were they knew weren't going to do, weren't going to sell, because, you know, the Donald Mayus' thing is all about sales. You know, the, the uh, a self-published book is only going to sell so many copies. A mid-list book is only going to sell so many more copies, and until you're up at, like, 50,000 books, 100,000 books, you're not up in the giant big boy, you know, it's one percenters league. And so that's kind of what he's, you know... Where you know where the breakdown really comes down. So I don't know. It's... Yeah, and the other issue is time. Yes, uh, I don't have another ten years to horse around mm -hmm. with a whole bunch of agents and wait a year for somebody to want it, and then wait another year or two for somebody to actually put it into print. Whereas I can do this. But uh, here's another thing: you're selling it directly to readers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. When the agent says he can't sell it, I'm assuming it's he's to saying publishing that, houses. I'm mm -hmm. saying that he can't sell it to publishing houses. Well, it's houses. to publishing houses and it's also like they know like the buyers. So the buyers from Barnes and Noble, the buyers from Walmart, you know, those are the people because that's who's reading those catalogs that you're getting stuck, you know, 
as a traditionally published author, when you're getting put into a catalog, that's who that's going to. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to all those buyers. And if those buyers don't want it, if that's not something they want, then they know it's there's no point in putting it in the catalog. You know, and there's a lot of books out there, wonderful books, that, you know, are never going to make worldwide distribution. Well, one thing Donald said in his in his blog is by getting rid of the mid list, by pushing this off, it now frees up the yes. big five to look for the higher risk, higher return type stories like Hunger Games mm-hmm. and so forth. They're well, out there. Everyone's going to want, you know, the, the, I mean, they will always focus on the big sellers. And mm-hmm. to that end, readers will always dictate what is going to be the next big thing. They always have and they always will. You know, yes, you can you can put a dozen books in front of a reader and say, these are the books you're going to love, but it's up to the readers to say, this is the book I love because to this day, the best thing that sells a book is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Having a dozen people say, I love this book and you have to read it is still the best marketing campaign for an author you can have. And yes, getting the mid, getting rid of the mid-list has really helped that, but what it, the mid-list really has done is opened up to small presses. Small presses and imprints, and then successful self-publisher. That's the mid-list. That's who's there in the mid-list. And to be honest, we're all going to sit there and have wonderful little careers in the mid-list because, you know, and we're going to sell a lot of books, and we're going to sell, you know, a bunch of books, but I don't know. I don't think it's that bad to be in the mid-list. I don't it's think it's that wrong. Yeah. Most Reading. Most of us are going to be in there. If we're lucky, we hope. Reading Donald's article makes it sound like being not in first class is being less of an author. And I think that's what really angered Howery and Conrath and those guys was they felt somehow he was slighting them. And in honesty, I think what he was saying is this is the reality of the industry. You know, and where you, you, here it is, where do you fit into it? And I think they got caught up in the terminology he was using. Well, no one likes to be told that they're less than what they are. Exactly. And to be honest, you know, I mean, you know, there are self-publishing superstars, and there always will be. But guess what? They're the 1% of the 1% of self-publishing. <laughs> yeah. So, on that note, though, how do you think the publishing industry has affected what is and isn't successful as a book? quote-unquote successful? Because there are books that um, have gone out of print that through word of mouth people have wanted back in print because it was amazing, but the book wasn't successful according to the big publishers um, in terms of numbers and sales. Like, Well, see, and that's what the, that's what the big publishers really care about is numbers and sales. And yes. more numbers. They care more about how many units did we sell and how many units did you sell because that's an indicator to them of how many units you're going to sell in your next book and that's an indicator so, of how much money they I need to spend it, on you. But think of it mis- like a cult classic, you know, because, I mean, for instance, cult classic TV shows, they mm-hmm. might be great shows, I mean, and they might quality-wise be better than the most popular reality TV or whatever, but somehow if they're not getting the numbers, they might be what everyone's reading in uh, 50 years and 100 years. But for instance... Um, Firefly. Yeah. Um, Family Guy. Well, no, no, okay, Actually, take it away from TV, because TV doesn't work, because no, TV has a total way of bringing it back. But for books, for books, when you're looking at, when you're talking about books people are going to be reading in 100 years, it's generally the most successful books of the day. Those are the books that are going to make it and continue. And now, not always, but a lot of times. So in 100 years, people are probably going to be reading Hunger Games. Shades of Grey. I, Let's hope not. Uh, oh, I don't know of anyone that's read a Radcliffe novel. 
she was huge in Victorian England, but we've all read Emily Dickinson, and she was a mid-list author during, not Emily Dickinson, uh, Jane Austen, and she yes. was a mid-list author. Yeah, and I'm not Related saying all of that, them, though, but that's partly um, Gatsby was a huge seller exposure. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of books that are on the New York Times bestseller list are there because they have the kind of publicity behind them that can get them on there in the first place so that they do get the exposure, so that they do get word of mouth. Right, and the one thing that the big publishers can do is distribution. Yes. They over-distribute, but by golly, you can get that book in half a dozen places in any t- city or town. So that's the that's big okay. advantage they have. When print-on-demand and the espresso machine totally comes into its <laughs> own, mm-hmm. we will have a whole new industry to deal with where you can just walk in and get any book you want. That's so. really the point, is that we're in the middle right now. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're mm-hmm. still in a world where... The we're, conveniences we're, of mm-hmm. modern publishing, of self and on-demand publishing, are there, but we're still being uh, told, and perhaps rightly, because the way it goes, that going through having physical books in a physical store, um, internationally distributed by a big uh, publishing company, that that's the only way to have uh, air quotes success. There are plenty but of people that won't touch an ebook. There's a lot yeah. of, I mean, there's someday being able to go online and order that book and have it printed and mailed to you is going to be the only way to get your book. You don't even have to order it online. Just order it online, walk into the bookstore, and it'll be right there waiting for you in five minutes later. It's, I mean, that's the beauty part of the future. I mean, I, if there's one thing you can guarantee about this industry, in five years, everything will be different. Right. But one thing won't be, and that is as a writer... If as if your goal is to get published and get out there and get readership, which readership equals sales and money coming in, you have got to put yourself out there. You've got to think like this is my business. You got you have to think like an entrepreneur. You can't just sit back and oh, I've got a book and now I'm going to sit it out there and everybody's going to find it somehow and they're going to read it. I we've all have run into those into those writers and we know how that happens and we know that's the path to failure. You have to have, as Kathleen was talking about earlier, a platform. You've got to have something to be able to push that book out. Well, it doesn't have to be yourself though. I mean, if you're not comfortable being in the public eye, I understand that entirely. But sometimes, you know, it depends on the book you're writing. If you're writing a nonfiction book, then you definitely need to be the one who's on the platform because your validity is what makes your book valid. Yes. But Unless you have a surrogate to do that for you. Yeah. Right. The, um... In, in the fiction world, like, there are, you know, we've mentioned authors that everyone knows, J.K. Rowling, Stephen King. Uh, I mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey earlier as a joke, but everyone knows what that is. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people can name the author, but it was what was in that book that made it popular. <laughs> yeah. It was what it was in that book that made people who would never read that book do news reports about it. The same thing it. is true with Harry Potter. I mean... It's not the fact that J.K. Rowling was making billions of dollars that made people want to read that book. It was mm-hmm. the fact that it was an awesome story about this amazing kid in his totally cool school that made people want to read this book. And that's why I was saying that marketing the book is important because stories are timeless. Books are immortal. I mean, that's the beauty of it. The, in the publishing, the self-publishing world, just selling to people who know you as a human, uh, that will get you, you know, 300 sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to go beyond that sphere to the people that don't know who you are right. and don't care who you are and never will care yep. who you are, that's when you need story. to sell your book. You need to sell both because you've mm-hmm. got 300 sales of people that are your friends. And you're going to sell your book to people based on the fact that you had a nice conversation with them in a coffee shop. Yep. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be a... 
That's just a part. You gotta do you do both of them. Yes, but when are you getting everybody who walks into a Barnes and Noble across this country or any bookstore across this country when you're having hundreds or thousands of people every day for those, you know, release weeks or whatever, going in and picking up your book. And the question will always be, how are you that book? And right now the best way is to have an agent, traditional publisher, you know, all that kind of route. Is that the only way? I no. would I would argue with Brad's last statement, the discussion was only heating up rather than winding down. The right pack's time to record was over, but the topic wasn't. Stay tuned to Right Pack Radio as we dive deeper into the debate between traditional versus self versus hybrid publishing. Theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her. Right Pack Radio would like to thank STL Books for allowing us to record in their office. STL Books is an online bookstore specializing in new and used high-quality literature, children's books, and books written by or about St. Louis. Please visit them online at www.stlbooks.com or find their store on the Amazon.com website.